Well, greetings to all of you again this evening. It's good to be here with you and a Saturday night, a night when we can uh, look into God's Word and see what He has for us. <clears throat> First of all, I want to thank you for your singing again tonight. And as we sang our theme song, I had to look at some of these words again. Oh, to be like thee, like him, like thee, precious Redeemer, blessed Redeemer. So, how are you uh, becoming more like him as we have come through the week? Uh, more, more like Christ every day? Verse 3, uh, verse 4, the one line says, All that I am and have, I am bringing. Lord, from this moment, all shall be thine. That reminds me that everything I have and everything I do every day is all the Lord's. You know, that's, that's quite a challenge to... Uh, continue to be that way and live that way. <clears throat> so tonight, I am thankful again that God is still on the throne. He's always good and he always will be. And uh, we can thank him for salvation. Anyone here tonight want to quote our uh, theme verses by memory? Sure. But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and a holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should shoot for the praises. Yes, very good. All right, thank you. Anyone else? <clears throat> good to see your minds working and your uh, memory working.
Very good. Okay. Thank you. You're putting forth the effort and uh, it's working. So, yeah, very good. Anyone else? Good. <laughs> Good job. Any other children? I Good to hear children uh, memorizing the scriptures. Okay, go ahead. Good. Okay. Great. <clears throat> All right. For the rest of you, we'll refresh our memory here and say it together. Verse 9 But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, which in time past were not a people, but are now the people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. All right. Keep working on it, and uh, we'll see where we, anyone else is ready tomorrow morning, and Tomorrow evening yet. <clears throat> All right, well, for a message this evening, I'd invite you to turn your Bibles back to Genesis chapter 37. We'd like to consider another man. His name is Joseph. And I would like to uh, <clears throat> maybe explain this term about Joseph a man for all seasons. Uh, I, would, I would begin by asking you this question, does life matter? And we would obviously say yes, I'm sure you would all say, life does matter. Do the choices I make matter? <clears throat> Psalms chapter one, I uh, thought about uh, thinking about does it does uh, our choices matter? Psalm chapter one is probably one that many of you could quote by memory as well, but it talks about a blessing to the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. 
and in his law doth he meditate day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. The ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind driveth away. Therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knoweth the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. And so the question is maybe uh, an elementary one, but uh, does life matter? Yes, life matters. And according to that psalm, those who are godly will meditate. The man who, who makes a choice not to be involved with the ungodly has a blessing from the Lord. And obviously those who are not are like the chaff or the straw that the wind drives away. <clears throat> now we think about the illustration of a tree has its roots going down into the ground, is planted, and is solid, and is, is uh, rooted way down, deep, so that the winds that hit that tree are not going to are not going to uproot it, unless obviously you have a, a, tor a tornado or something come through, uproots a lot of trees. But the tree that is rooted deeply has stability. And the man I want to look at tonight, we're going to see, I believe, had stability. Joseph is a man here, and, and again, we're, we're just going to skim over quite a number of chapters here. Because his life spans chapter 37 all the way to all the way to the end of the book of Genesis, and so we're we'll point out some uh, some highlights as we look at the life of Joseph. First of all, we see in Genesis 37, and Jacob dwelt in the land wherein his father was a stranger in the land of Canaan. These are the generations of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old was feeding the flock with his brethren, and the lad was with the sons of Billah and with the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives, and Joseph brought unto his father their evil report. Now I want you to notice here in verse 3. Now Israel loved Joseph more than all his children because he was the son of his old age, and he made him a coat of many colors. Just to comment here a little bit about uh, Joseph, Joseph's uh, parents, especially his dad is pointed out here, that he loved Joseph more than all his children. I don't uh, believe I'm telling you anything uh, new by informing you as parents tonight that if you want to cause a problem in the life of your family, all you need to do is show favoritism. Is that right? <laughs> uh, it says he loved Joseph more than all the rest of his family, all the rest of his children. And so the matter of the coat of many colors, I, I did look into that a little bit, and 
Having a coat in those times was not unusual. So it's not really an outstanding fact that his father made him a coat, but this coat represented something deeper than just keeping Joseph warm, okay? It uh, represented favoritism. Let's read on, verse 4. And when his brethren saw that his father loved him more than all his brethren, they hated him and could not speak peaceably unto him. Verse 5, Joseph dreamed a dream, and he told it to his brethren, and they hated him yet the more. Quite, a, quite an interesting uh, story here that his, uh, his brethren saw and observed that his father loved him more. And we could say that, you know, this was a dysfunctional family. The brothers of Joseph were upset because they saw that his father loved him more than all the rest. And we sit here tonight and say, rightfully so. We understand that. So then Joseph has this dream, and he shares it with his brothers, and they hate him even more. And so this, this conflict goes on. <clears throat> and uh, so in verse 6, he said unto them, Here I pray you this dream which I have dreamed. For behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, and lo, my sheath arose and also stood upright. And behold, your sheaves stood round about and made obeisance to my sheaf. And his brethren said to him, Shalt thou indeed reign over us? Or shalt thou indeed have dominion over us? And they hated him yet the more for his dreams and his words. And he dreamed yet another dream. And, and uh, there you have the, the, uh, the second dream that he had. And he, he, he uh, relates that to his brethren again. And this hatred continues. And so Joseph, we would, we would look at this fairly, uh, you know, obvious here that Joseph, why couldn't you keep your dreams to yourself, you know? Rather than make it a uh, driving the wedge deeper, we would say, well, Joseph, just keep it to yourself, right? And it would solve a lot of problem. But anyway, the dreams to Joseph meant something. And we'll, we, since we know the whole story, we know how it ends, but... Let's walk in Joseph's sandals for a little while here and uh, notice a few more things. Turn over to chapter 39. We have the account uh, of the hatred of his brothers and how they, they uh, plotted to take his life and slay an animal and dip his coat of many colors in that blood and go back to his father and tell him, you know, some wild beast, attack him and kill him. And uh, so through all that experience, we know that Judah, his brother, came to his rescue and said, wait a minute, let's not kill him, but let's just throw him in this pit 
And then they saw this group of Ishmaelites coming, and so they sold him on their journey down to Egypt. And so Joseph finds himself being sold into Egypt. And we come to chapter 39, verse 1, and it says, And Joseph was brought down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh's captain of the, of the guard, an Egyptian bought him of the hands of the Ishmaelites, which had brought him down thither. <clears throat> and the Lord was with Joseph. I, I highlight that in my Bible. The Lord was with Joseph. And he was a prosperous man, and he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian, and his master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord made all that he did to prosper in his hand. And Joseph found grace in his sight, and he served him, and he made him overseer over his house, and all that he had he put, in, he put into his hand. The fact that Joseph was now found himself far away from home in a foreign land he has, shown, uh, he has shown mercy by the king. He found grace in, this, in his sight. And the king turns everything over into his hand. He's promoted to, an ele- to, to oversee the affairs of the king. And so we come then to the uh, down, jumping down to verse, uh, verse 8. Verse 7, it says, And it came to pass after these things that his master's wife cast her eyes upon Joseph, and she said, Lie with me. And he refused and said unto his master's wife, Behold, my master wanteth not what is with me in the house, and he hath committed all that he hath into my hand. And he goes on and explains that, you know, everything that Potiphar uh, made him in charge of, and he had freedom to, to enjoy except the fact that he was, she was his wife. And we go on and we have this enticement and this, uh, this occasion between him and Potiphar's wife. And he says here in verse, uh, let's see, verse 10, And it came to pass as she spake to Joseph day by day that he hearkened not unto her. And verse 11, verse uh, where he says, how can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? She caught him by his garment, verse 12, saying, lie with me. And he left his garment in her hand and fled and got him out. He ran from this temptation. And uh, when Joseph considered this temptation, now I read in chapter 37 that he was 17 years old at that time, And this is probably a few more years later. We have no idea exactly what his age is when he faced this temptation. But I would guess he was probably in his early 20s at the very oldest, possibly even 20 years old. And so for Joseph to uh, stand there and to not respond to the plea and this this, uh, temptation of Potiphar's wife, I'd like to say here that Joseph made and grounded his belief in God in his season of temptation. When Joseph said to this woman, how can I do this great wickedness 
and sin against God. He, you notice he didn't say, I'm just going to be sinning against you, even though that would have been true. Or he said, I'm not going to do this wickedness and sin against myself. That would have also been true. But he recognized one foundational thought here tonight that I want to impress upon all of our minds, that God, I mean that Joseph, recognized that this sin would have been a sin against God, the very creator of Joseph himself. And so when you think about it, this temptation helped Joseph to ground his belief and his faith in the fact that God would have seen his sin. And you know tonight as we think about, especially for young people, who face the temptation of immorality or any kind of other sexual sin, let me just tell you that I've grown up in teenage years as well. And you, we, as, we as young people sometimes have the idea that, well, yeah, I can pretty much hide what I want to do. My parents will never know it. My minister in church will never know it. Let me just uh, help you to imagine here. I said Joseph, in this situation, was far away from home. If anybody could have made an excuse about nobody else knowing about this particular action that he was tempted with, would have been Joseph himself. Nobody's around. Nobody around here knows who I am, except for the king and maybe a few other people. And so you see how enticing this temptation was for Joseph? And so he grounded his belief and his faith in Almighty God while he was facing this temptation because he recognized that, oh, even though he could have hid it probably from everybody else and nobody would have known, God in heaven was still watching him. And let me remind you tonight, young people, middle-aged, wherever you are, if you think that you can hide what you plan to do that's against the word of God and it is sin, you will not get away with it because God sees. And so Joseph took a very strong stand and a right stand in this time of temptation. And so we notice here then, because of the situation, what happened, that uh, he took off and ran and got himself out of there. But one problem, <laughs> he left his coat with her. And now we see what happens. In verse 13 of chapter 39, and it came to pass when she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and fled forth, she changed the story. Verse 14, she called unto the men of her house and spoke unto them, saying, See, he hath brought in an Hebrew unto us to mock us. He came in unto me to lie with me, and I cried with a, cried with a loud voice. And it came to pass, when he heard that I lifted up my voice and cried, he left his garment with me and fled and got him out. 
So here you have Joseph doing the right thing. You have this woman changing the story completely around. And then you have her telling the king what happened. And he ends up in prison. Can you imagine for a moment Joseph in his prayer to God the first night he's in prison saying, God, I, I did what is right and here I am in prison. You want to talk about a, disappoint, a disappointment for a young man who did the right thing and now he's falsely accused and thrown into prison. But again, do not forget the fact that Joseph grounded his faith in God through a time of temptation. So we move on in Joseph's life. He uh, is in prison because of false accusation. And uh, he gets to be put in charge in the prison. They saw that he was a godly man. God was with him. And so even the keepers of the prison showed respect and honor to this man. And he's put in charge of the other prisoners. You have the relationship of the, uh, the chief butler and the baker in chapter 40. And I, don't, I won't uh, read a whole lot about that. And the chief, uh, now the chief baker, his job was in charge of making the king's food. The butler was in charge of tasting all the king's food and drink before he would uh, be given that. And so they, for some reason or other, under some conspiracy possibly against Pharaoh, were also thrown in prison. And so you have Joseph meeting the butler and the baker in prison. And so these men also have dreams. And Joseph interprets the butler and the baker's dreams. There's a lot of dreaming going on back then, I guess. <laughs> but uh, Joseph had the gift of God on his life to interpret what was going to happen. And so, long story short, you understand what happened with the butler and the baker. He, he interpreted their dreams, and they came to, they came to pass but Joseph kindly reminded them to remember me when you get out of prison. What did they do? <laughs> Forgot it. Forgot all about Joseph. And so there again, we have the pain. Why this? He's thrown into prison, falsely accused, thrown into prison, and here he interprets the dreams of the butler and the baker, and they forget about him. So there's more pain and more hurtful uh, experiences. And again, the statement I want you to think about here with all of the pain that Joseph went through is he grounded his peace in his session and his season of pain. He grounded his peace with God in his season of pain. 
How many times, you probably have all read through this, this uh, man's life story, many times maybe, and I challenge you the next time you, you read through the life story of Joseph to think about all of the times and the places that he found himself in and those around him recognized that God was with him because what he did prospered. Who else? could make it prosper, but God. And so then we come to chapter 41. And Pharaoh, Pharaoh has some dreams. And he sees uh, his dreams are there by the river, and he sees seven well-favored kin and fat-fleshed. And you understand the dreams of Pharaoh. And what they represented, they couldn't figure out. Pharaoh dreams these dreams and, and uh, he couldn't find anybody to interpret his dreams. And so there again, they're discussing this. And then what was it? The butler, I believe, remembered. Oh, yes. <laughs> you know, you have those moments sometimes when the light comes on <laughs> from things in the past. And you say, hey, I do remember. I remember that man in prison. And so Pharaoh says, is there anyone that we can find who could interpret these dreams for me? And Joseph, Joseph is brought out of the prison. Chapter 40, uh, chapter 41, Pharaoh's two dreams and Joseph interprets them. And because he was brought out of prison and he interpreted the dreams of Pharaoh, he again now is promoted. I don't know. Uh, I understand, and I think it was the same Pharaoh from when he, when he, uh, the first time that he was promoted there. And so he is promoted again. And he is put in charge because of the interpretation of the dreams that there will be seven years of plenty, seven years of famine. And Joseph is saying, well, somebody needs to lay up things in the time of, of, uh, in, in the time of good when the, when the crops are, are, are uh, producing so that you have something to go on for the seven years of famine. And Joseph, putting it in my own words, says, you're the man because he saw God's hand again on the life of Joseph. And so he is promoted to the second highest in command in Egypt. Then we go through the time of, and he, it says that he laid up all in store for Egypt. There was hardly enough room to store all of the, all of the plenty in the seven years. We could say that their, their, uh, their bins of storage for the farming was overflowing and he couldn't find hardly enough room to store all of the uh, all of the food and the crops but then came the seven years of famine and you get into that about two years and his brothers back there in Canaan were experiencing famine as well and so you know the story very well that his brothers came down 
his, his father, Jacob, sent his brothers down to Egypt so that they, they could find food to survive. And then you have Joseph, and here again, I'm not exactly sure how many years it was since he had seen his brothers, but it was quite a number of years, quite a span of time. And his brothers come down to Egypt, and Joseph is in charge of all of the storage of, uh, that he had stored up over the years of plenty. And I just want to pause here and have you think about and imagine what it must have been like for Joseph to see his brothers for the first time in many years. You know, sometimes that happens with us today when you have a, an acquaintance that you knew from 20, 30, 40 years ago and you see them again and it's just like, wow, this brings back memories. In the life of Joseph, here he saw a group of men that he recognized, and he did not have very good memories from when he last saw them. And so we would question, at least I would question, you know, the, uh, <laughs> the motive of Joseph and, you know, some of the things that he that he, we look at and we would question a bit, you know, keeping a brother down there so that when they go back, you know, making sure. But he, I believe, one of the thoughts that I came across was is that the reason he treated his brothers this way is that so he could see if their attitudes and their actions had changed from the last time he had a experience with them. Because his last experience was one of being in the pit and then being sold. And so we would, we would question, you know, Joseph, is this really the way you should operate with your brothers? You know, is this really, is this really right? That you should put them through all of this turmoil. But then we come to the uh, latter part of... Uh, of Joseph here in chapter 45, we come to the place in chapter 45 where Joseph, it says, he could not refrain himself before all them that stood by him, and he cried, cause every man to go out from me, and there stood no man with him, while Joseph made himself known unto his brethren. His brothers had no idea when they came down there to Egypt that they would ever meet his, their brother again. But Joseph made himself known to his brethren and he wept aloud in verse 2 and the, the uh, Egyptians in the house of Pharaoh heard and Joseph said unto his brethren, I am Joseph. Doth my father yet live? And his brethren could not answer him, for they were troubled at his presence. <laughs> Why do you think they were troubled? Here was their brother. He's alive. 
But you know, they were carrying quite a bit of baggage. And they're like, really? They probably had to stabilize themselves and say, really? This is Joseph, my brother. Can you think about it? I talked the other night about relationships. What must have this been like? And we see that he, uh, he had a time of reunion there with them, I believe I would call it, many tears. And may I, may I inject something here that you probably all would inject into this as well because we have it solidified in, in the scripture a little bit later. There were lots of tears and lots of rehearsing, uh, lots of re, uh, re restoration possibly, and lots of forgiveness, I trust. But then the orders are given by Joseph under the blessing also of Pharaoh to go back to Canaan and bring your father. Come down to Egypt. Bring all of your families. Bring them down to Egypt. And so that's how they survived the next, what, three, four, five years, I believe it was. And Jacob, when he found out that his son Joseph was still living, Bible says that he almost had a heart attack. Imagine Jacob finding out that his son Joseph was still alive. Chapter 45, I would say, is a beautiful story or a beautiful account here of restoration with his brothers. And the final point that I would like to point out here is, is that Joseph was generous and forgiving in his season of power. Let's just think about this for a moment. Joseph, being the second in command in Egypt, and here come his ten, or yeah, his brothers. Here come his brothers who sold him into Egypt X number of years ago. You and I sitting here tonight could pretty much identify with the fact of, with Joseph saying, aha, now I can get even. He's in power, right? He's second in command. That's why I say Joseph. Joseph is an example of the Lord Jesus Christ. No, he wasn't perfect. But when he is in total control of who gets, who gets what here, I mean, you, you're seriously looking for food because there's a famine. You're starving. You need help. And while Joseph had the authority to give or not to give, wow, could you see the, the old flesh rearing its ugly head up and say, ah, it's my turn to get even. Wow. 
What a temptation that would have been. But we all know the end of the story. Genesis chapter 50 and verse 20. And you know these brothers were fearful about Joseph. And Joseph had told them, you know, you, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good, sending me ahead to preserve life. Uh, Joseph recognized the purpose of God through all of this, and yet his brothers were kind of held back. And they were fearful. And you know, their fear was compounded when Jacob passed away. Because these brothers came right back to the same thing and said, Oh, no, now that our dad's gone, Joseph is going to probably take revenge. And through it all, I look at this account and I say, Wow, what a temptation for Joseph. And yet, this is what he says. Joseph said in verse 19 of chapter 50, Joseph said unto them, Fear not, for I, for am I in the place of God? But as for you, ye thought evil against me, but God meant it unto good, to bring to pass, as it is this day, to save much people alive. And I have to conclude looking at the life of Joseph that even though he would have possibly, and I'm sure, been tempted many times to get even with his brothers, he recognized the hand of God in all of it. And tonight, as we think about, the Bible says that when we walk after the flesh, we're going we're gonna to receive of what the flesh can do. When we walk after the Spirit, we're going to receive from God the blessings of following God. And so, as we think about Joseph, there's a lot more lessons that we could talk about, but I just want to end tonight with a story that I think will help us to grasp a bit of what it's like to live and follow the Spirit of God. The story is titled, Only the Fool Resist the Pull. All right. Laura gave me eight items to get at the grocery store. Um, eight and a half hours, or eight an hour. I got to read my own writing here. An hour and a half later, I had a Walmart cart overflowing and had spent over $200. I got home. And she was baffled. Why did you get all this junk? She asked. I protested. Don't worry. I got your eight items. That didn't help for some strange reason. She was rightly frustrated that I'd come home with some sugary cereal, junk food, snack items, and even some toys. I simply pointed to the three children like Adam pointed to Eve. 
in the garden. But the real reason why I got all that junk, I'd gone shopping hungry. <laughs> Life is like that. If I don't get time with the Lord daily, my flesh is alive and well. It hasn't been uh, satiated and subdued by the Spirit, and thus is looking for anything and everything to satisfy it. It's, un it's unrelenting, and I inevitably end up with much more in the cart of my mind and body than I ever intended for that day. Things like pride, lust, apathy, a critical spirit, eating for sport, binging on the news, and insistently checking my emails and texts seem to jump out of the shelves of life's grocery store. And conversely, when I fill up on the things of this world, I lose my appetite for the things of God. Just like my children not wanting a healthy dinner because they've had sweets and snacks, and still I look to the Lord and protest. But I had my quiet time, Bible, prayer, and some worship music. Yet at the end of the day, there often is this, only the fool resist the pull. The only way to resist the pull of the flesh, the world, and Satan is to constantly Fill, uh, constantly be filled up by the Spirit. Quiet times are good, but, that is, but they aren't sufficient. We are to be constantly dry, drinking in the Spirit, yielding to the Spirit, seeking to align our hearts and minds to the things above. That alone, correction, um, that alone, correction, and uh, has, a, has the ability to satisfy our souls. And if we aren't full, we will succumb to the pull. Quit trying to bathe life's temptations and struggles through habits, life hacks, more effort, and healthy choices. The only antidote for sin is to feast on the things of the Lord. Then and only then will the world's sugary, sweet poisons lose their appeal and reduce their pull. The familiar verse that you've heard before, which bears repeating again, is Galatians 5.16. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. And so tonight, if you are struggling with sin in your life and can't seem to get out of Satan's grip, write a prayer asking God to help you walk with him all day and therefore not take, which leads, not take that which leads to death. In a position of humility, pray and ask God to keep you from your struggle for the next 24 hours. Text or call a brother or sister in Christ to let them know 
If you've stayed free from your struggle for the last 24 hours and tell them you're also committed by God's strength to staying free for the next 24 hours and that you will be updating them on how you're doing. The strong, only the full, only those who are filled with the Spirit can resist the pull of the flesh to fill the lusts and desires of the flesh. Tonight as we looked at the life of Joseph, who, who went through lots of uh, difficulties, hardships in life. Yes, did he have his struggles? I'm sure he did. But he relied on the power of God to help him through each situation in life that could have brought him to his, to his uh, end and succumb to the pressures of the world. Can you be a Joseph tonight? Can I be a Joseph tonight? Yes, we can. And we can overcome. Is the pull of the flesh strong? Absolutely. Can we overcome it by ourselves? Probably not. Most likely, and most times, not at all. We need the power of the Holy Spirit to help us. The power of the blood of Christ Jesus Christ living in your heart, the Holy Spirit directing your thoughts and your mind, what you think about, and how you face temptation, like Joseph did. How can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? We understand that that was a moral temptation. Tonight, you may not be struggling with that in that area, but maybe some other area, whatever it might be. Can you have victory tonight over the flesh and walk according to the Spirit? Yes, you can, but not on your own. You need the power of God. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, tonight we're thankful for the example of a man who was tempted and hurt and disappointed in many, many ways. But we're thankful that we could look at the example of Joseph and see that he was a man for all seasons. And he grounded his faith in you and grew in his power in relationship with you through the various experiences in his life where there was extreme pain, people who forgot about him, and yet... When he was promoted, he never sought revenge. And so, God, tonight I pray that for each one that is here, I pray that they would also see the importance of following the Holy Spirit of God in their life. And if there's someone here tonight who has never accepted you as their Lord and Savior, I pray that you would help them see that they can live for you when they completely surrender their heart and life to you. And so if there's anyone here tonight like that, I pray that you would give them the courage to make it known and find the freedom of having their sins washed away, being able to live for you. So God, have your will and way tonight as we extend an invitation to anyone who wants to make their heart and life 
uh, turn their heart and life completely over to you and walk with you faithfully from this point on. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.